You're listening to Human Rights Talks, organized by the Montreal Institute for Genocide and Human Rights Studies. My name is Marie Lamench. I work at the Montreal Institute for Genocide and Studies at Concordia. Welcome to Twitter Spaces discussion on the ongoing crisis in Nagorno-Karabakh, also referred to as Artsakh. Uh, I'm sorry if, if I'm butchering the, the uh, pronunciation. Uh, it is a landlocked region in the uh, South Caucasus, and the conflict there is one of the longest running in post-Soviet Euro-Asia. And to discuss this important topic, I'm delighted to host three experts. First, Elisa von Jordan Fergie, uh, endowed chair in Holocaust and Genocide Studies at Keene Co- Stage College and co-founder of the Lemkin Institute. Elisa, thank you for being here. Thank you very much. Uh, then we have Robert Avertisian, a representative of the Republic of Artak in the United States. Thank you, Robert. Thank you for organizing this, it's a pleasure. And finally, uh, Gary Stanton, founding president and chairman of Genocide Watch. Thank you, Gary, Gary for being here. So let's um, let's start perhaps with um, a bit of context. Could you perhaps, Eliza or Gregory, or both of you, could you perhaps um, provide details on the current situation there due to the blockade of the, of the uh, Lachin uh, corridor? Both of your organizations have um, published reports uh, on this topic and you have both, um, both of the organizations have also issued warnings about what's going on. Elisa, perhaps we'll start with you and then we'll go to Gregory. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Yes, I think as many of our listeners know, um, Artsakh is under blockade from Azerbaijan, the most important corridor linking the Armenians of Artsakh to Armenia proper and therefore to the outside world has been um, shut off by the Azerbaijani government initially using um, so-called environmentalist activists. Uh, but you know, since then there has been research that has shown that these environmentalist activists are related to somehow involved with the Azerbaijani state in different ways. And so, um, so this area has been closed off to the outside world. Very little is getting in to help the Armenians. Um, and the president of Azerbaijan has very cynically said, well, the Armenians are welcome to leave. And so this, this blockade is not simply a um, international crime, uh, uh, you know, in and of itself, but it is also an effort to uh, very, very publicly uh, rid the region of a population that has been in the region for thousands of years. So Artsakh, the Armenians, um, and I'm sure we'll get into this more today, um, are, are one of the most cohesive groups in the region, occupying that territory consistently and governing it for thousands of years. Um, and so this is the, the Lemkin Institute. I'll just quickly you know, state our position on this. The Lemkin Institute for Genocide Prevention um, has issued several red flag alerts and several statements on this situation, not just um, uh, with the blockade, but even before that, starting last summer, um, on the um, increasingly 
uh, escalating rhetoric of Azerbaijan towards Armenia, towards the Armenians in Artsakh, but also towards Armenia proper, including the war in September 13th and 14th, um, where Azerbaijan actually invaded the territory of Armenia proper. We um, have called attention to the genocidal nature of Azerbaijan's policies and actions towards Armenians in the region, both in Artsakh and in Armenia proper. Um, and, you know, we have argued that to see the genocidal nature of these actions and these policies, one needs to put this blockade in a larger context, a larger historical context, and a larger geopolitical context. Historically, one needs to understand, you know, the long-term history of genocidal Armenophobia in the region, particularly under the Ottoman Empire and its successor state, the modern Republic of Turkey. Um, and geopolitically, one has to understand Turkey's support for Azerbaijan, its own genocidal actions against um, Armenians, but also against Kurds and Yazidis, in particular in northern Syria. And then its interest, its continued interest, and this is inherited from the Ottoman Empire, in pan-Turkic expansion towards Central Asia through uh, Armenia and through Artsakh. Um, and, and, you know, it's very clear that Azerbaijan and Turkey are working very closely together um, on, on Aliyev's uh, policies towards Artsakh, and we don't believe at the Lemkin Institute that even if Artsakh were to be, um, the word that's often used is ethnically cleansed, but we believe that the proper term is genocide, because ethnic cleansing, it's a problematic term, it's not an international crime, and um, and we know from the for former behavior of Azeri soldiers that, um, that they behave towards any Armenians that they get their hands on in a very, very um, genocidal manner, which means that they commit not only murder, um, but also all sorts of very cruel genocidal rituals against the Armenians who come under their control. So this is very clearly um, in our mind. Uh, this blockade is very clearly in our minds a, an attempt to um, sort of genocide the Armenians of Artsakh as a first step towards a larger genocide against the Armenians in the South Caucasus in the name of a pan-Turkic expansion that has really important geopolitical and economic um, underpinnings. Um, and, and all of this, I think the hope is by Azerbaijan, will just somehow happen with the international community looking the other way, and perhaps even with NATO support, uh, because there is also strong NATO interest in uh, finding a, a clear access point around Iran, avoiding Iran and Russia to Central Asia. Um, so I'm going to stop there, but the Lemkin Institute's position is that this, is, uh, this blockade is, is, is patently genocidal and that Azerbaijan is using it to test the international community's resolve. And so let me hand it off to Greg. Go ahead, Greg. Thank you so much. Elisa's given a wonderful uh, explanation of why this is such a genocidal uh, act to blockade uh, Artsakh. Uh, this territory, which is uh, largely populated by Armenians, at least 120,000 Armenians live there, um, is part of an overall pattern, a long pattern uh, that Azerbaijan has had towards 
Armenians. Uh, there have been uh, massacres of Armenians in Baku. Uh, there have been uh, wars between Azerbaijan and Armenia and between Turkey, as you know, and uh, the Armenian people uh, that, re in fact, resulted in the genocide of the Armenians in 1915 through 22, in which at least a million and a half Armenians were slaughtered. Uh, that's called genocide. In fact, it was the basis uh, for Raphael Lemkin's uh, authorship and uh, promotion of the Genocide Convention itself. Uh, now, what we have here is specifically outlawed by the Genocide Convention. Article 2C uh, includes deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part. In other words, this is an act of genocide to try to cut off uh, a whole territory with 120,000 people from food, medicine, uh, all kinds of other supplies. Uh, and so people who are living in Artsakh, the largely Armenian population, are experiencing severe shortages of necessities. Uh, uh, Azerbaijan has repeatedly turned off the supply of natural gas and electricity to Artsakh, uh, subjecting its people to freezing temperatures this winter. Uh, this is a genocidal act, what they're doing. Uh, and what worries us is that, the, uh, as Elisa has uh, warned, uh, is that the international response to this blockade has really been very tepid. It has been very, very... Uh, well, there's been really no serious action. Uh, there have been protests, you know, a lot of speaking about how this is bad and stuff. But we need decisive diplomatic action uh, to pressure Azerbaijan into reopening the Lechin Corridor, this uh, one contact that Artsakh has with uh, the main part of Armenia. We're Thank worried you very also... Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. We're, we're, we're worried now because it also looks like uh, Azerbaijan has even recently gotten more aggressive and has mm -hmm. moved, moved some of its troops into new positions. Yeah, and I agree we've seen actually little news about this in, in, in the media and little action from either the U.S. or the Canadian government. Um, Robert, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about Artsakh itself and the struggle in in the history of its people. Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, Artsakh is Armenian inside out. Artsakh is a part of the Armenian, always has been part of Armenian statehood. Whenever we had statehood, it was part of Armenian world always. And the only period which Artsakh and Armenia were severed forcefully was during the Soviet Union. You, you mentioned during your introduction that this is one of the post-Soviet uh, troubled areas. I would add that it is even pre-Soviet because all claims uh, towards Artsakh by Azerbaijan and Turkey started uh, during the formation of the Soviet Union when Armenia, weakened by the Armenian genocide, could not protect its inseparable part from being um, a subject of uh, political uh, manipulations and claims. Artsakh is a case of human rights, of democracy, of freedom, of intention of a group of people to live under government of own choosing. And we're not only Armenian. Yes, we are majority Armenian, and we always 
have been, but we also have uh, people from other nationalities who are citizens of the Republic of Artsakh currently. So it is a general fight for provision of the human rights, which has been taken from us when the Soviet Union came around in the region, forced us under administration of Soviet Azerbaijan as an autonomy, which already implied that we did not organically belong to that formation. And that was the only period of our coexistence with Azerbaijan under the common administrative umbrella, which was the Soviet Union, not Azerbaijan. Independent Azerbaijan never had Artsakh as its part. That's why all the claims that they want, be it the reintegration or restoration, it is purely manipulative and they want to say that they want to return to the past uh, state of affairs. If we return to the past state of affairs, we should be part of Armenia and we should be given all the rights to decide our future and live our, uh, under our government. Artsakh's cause has been uh, continuing also during the Soviet area several times, even the Soviet, during the Soviet area, you can imagine how tough it was, but we always were regularly pushing the agenda of reunification with Armenia because we did not want to live under the artificial rule of the Soviet Azerbaijan, especially in the case that we have been facing so many incidents and many um, manifestations of discrimination with cultural, economic, etc. But all those attempts were successfully repressed by the system, by the communist system at the time. Eventually, when the Soviet Union began to crumble, it appeared to be unable to prevent our next regular way of self-determination movement. And yes, we did claim for the first, uh, in the first period of the most latest stage of our freedom movement, which started in 1988 with legal documents in full compliance with local legislation and international norms, we asked reunification with Armenia. But that process required Moscow's okay, which we predictably didn't get. And as Gregory mentioned also, in response, we had anti-Armenian programs and mass killings of Armenians hundreds of miles away from Artsakh proper in Sungait, in Baku, in major cities around Azerbaijan, which also another, were another demonstration of the real intention towards it, towards the Armenian population. And uh, that was a signal for us that we need to self-organize as soon as possible. And when our specialists and lawyers and legislators in line with their authority looked into the Soviet constitution, it did provide a legal mechanism for proclaiming independence. So when Azerbaijan proclaimed independence in line with the legislation which provided all autonomous and administrative entities to independently decide their political status, we did proclaim independence. And that's one of the uh, things which allows us to say that political, historic, and after so many inst uh, instances of aggression against Artsakh, also the moral basis for Artsakh sovereignty are very strong and they deserve to be recognized by the international community. Gregory, um, could you tell us more about the, uh, the human rights of minority communities in Azerbaijan? How are they, how are they violated? Azerbaijan has uh, tried to take over uh, Nagorno-Karabakh's uh, border areas. In fact, has uh, in recent, recent times actually invaded uh, and has uh, taken away part the connection between um between armenia and uh, artsakh uh that actually is a historical uh 
fact because what happened uh, is that uh, in a conflict between Azerbaijan and uh, uh, Armenia uh, that was that happened earlier, uh, Armenia essentially took control of an area between Artsakh and Armenia, and in doing that. Uh, the many Azerbaijanis left the region uh, and were in IDP camps and so forth. This in turn uh, created a good deal of resentment by the Azerbaijanis who left. Uh, and then it became a political issue in Azerbaijan. And the, um, the, the Azerbaijan government has declared for years that it was going to retake that area. And not only did it retake the area, but it also uh, then, as uh, Elisa has said, forcibly displaced the Armenians who had moved into this region between Artsakh and Armenia. So it, we have that as one of the crimes against humanity that was committed here, namely forced displacement, which is a crime against humanity. Um, the other crimes, of course, are crimes like uh, withholding food and uh, basic necessities, uh, medicines and so forth that are uh, n n that are really required for the survival of people in Artsakh. Uh, as, as Elisa and I have both said, this is a violation of the Genocide Convention. Um, do you know, by the way, do you know how many people are in need of, of, of these, uh, you know, of food and, and, and other basic means at the moment? Well, uh, most of the people in Artsakh, frankly, uh, you know, it's at least 120,000 people. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a lot of people. And, and you talk about uh, what can be done about this. Well, it's very clear that Russia is not coming through, not honoring its agreement to uh, end this conflict. In fact, they are... Uh, essentially standing by and letting uh, Azerbaijan blockade Artsakh now. Uh, and so Russia, which had said it was going to be the solution to this, is now essentially paralyzed by its war in Ukraine. That is, it has decided to uh, commit an aggressive war uh, in Ukraine. And so it's really not doing its job of trying to mediate between, uh, between Artsakh and Armenia and Azerbaijan. So I think it's time for us to, to decide. We can't allow this kind of uh, withdrawal of basic necessities from the people of Artsakh. Uh, instead, we have to provide an alternative. And I think we need an EU and a UN airlift of humanitarian supplies into Artsakh that should start right away. We also should... Uh, sanction Azerbaijan under Article 907 of the Freedom Support Act, which is a U.S. law. Uh, uh, we have missions from the European Union that are in uh, Artsakh, and they should be given an expanded role, an expanded mandate, and with resources. Um, so all of these things need to be done. And of course, the basic thing is that we have to insist on immediate reopening of the Lachin corridor of this of this road. It is the key, it's the lifeline. Uh, 
And we should tell um, Azerbaijan that if it's not going to uh, reopen this corridor, then we are going to impose sanctions. And the sanctions should include essentially cutting off Azerbaijan's supply of oil and gas to a good part of Europe. Now, that's a hard one right now, of course, because of the Ukrainian war. Uh, can Europe uh, give up some of the gas and oil that it desperately needs right now because Russia has turned it off and has also uh, been blocked from uh, supplying what it used to supply, a lot of the gas, uh, to Europe. So this is a complex situation. But we should tell uh, Azerbaijan, look, we know this is a, uh, this is an issue that is complex diplomatically, but um, we're just not going to be able to allow you to ship out your gas and oil anymore <laughs> uh, if you're going to keep this blockade up, which is an act of genocide. Thank, thank you. Maria, can I add yeah. a couple of words, if yeah, I may? Yeah, for, for sure, for sure. Yes, I think you touched a very important uh, issue of the general discourse when we try to explain what is Azerbaijan and what is uh, Artsakh for now. Armenians are not a minority in Azerbaijan. After all those um, instances of massacres and persecutions, and with the level of the anti-Armenian hatred, which has been assumed as a state policy for already decades, uh, it's impossible for an Armenian to live uh, securely in Azerbaijan. What if it comes to Nagorno-Karabakh, we were as an autonomy and we have always had that uh, self-governing uh, body. So we were pretty much regulating a lot of stuff in line with the Soviet legislation, which was not fully, of course, providing our needs, but it did reflect some sort of uh, autonomy. And today, if we um, try to explain in, in a couple of words what is the case of Artsakh, it is a case of freedom of Artsakh, which tries to resist Azerbaijan's autocracy. Azerbaijan is pretty much a family-run country since 1968. It is father-to-son uh, relations. The sitting president has inherited the throne from his late father. The country has been registering a permanent and consistent decline in protection of any fundamental human rights for their own population despite all those economic benefits and everything, right? I know that they are trying to justify it with the existence of the conflict, and that's partially one of the reasons why they really want to prolong it and not really come to any solution, because many other issues will begin to hit the surface. And uh, the Artsakh problem, the conflict between Karabakh and Azerbaijan, has also a big internal political dimension and importance for Azerbaijani leader. Opposite to that, since formation in 1991, Artsakh has been developing as a democracy. We were always open to the rest of the world. Our elections were absolutely competitive. We have a much higher ranking by Amnesty International Human Rights Watch or Freedom House, uh, which uh, give a very low score to Azerbaijan and assess Artsakh as partly free. I mean, the Freedom House, for instance. So we are absolutely incompatible as two political systems. We are absolutely incompatible in our vision on how we want to organize our lives. And that's one of the reasons why we think that the international community, when they try to figure out what can be done for a peaceful coexistence, that should be taken into account. You cannot force or even hypothetically admit that it's possible to force a democracy to live under an absolutely open and Middle Eastern type autocracy. And, you know, just one telling phrase, when a correspondent, a couple of weeks ago, actually, um, 
said that we are soon to massacre Armenians and add their blood to our barbecue as we celebrate Nobrus. So that is the level of the hatred of even correspondence media folks. We understand that there is no free media in Azerbaijan, but at, even at that level, there is an absolutely open and vivid hatred towards anything and everything Armenian. And that level of hatred has penetrated and poisoned the entire Azerbaijani society, which is not good for that people, but it serves the interest of the repressive dictatorship and the ruling family to strengthen the grip on power and continue justifying all faults, be it economic or political, with the existence of Artsakh's problem, with the existence of all those troubles that uh, exist in the area. Also, we, by our case of a fledgling democracy, prove that even in conditions of a permanent threat of aggression, because we have seen several rounds of aggressions by Azerbaijan. The most latest one was with Turkey and the involvement of international terrorism. But even in those conditions, we continue to stick to our vision of rights and freedoms because those are the basis of our self-determination movement and freedom movement. Thank you, Robert. I, I want to give uh, Elisa a chance, a chance to talk and perhaps say uh, the last few words. Um, Elisa, what what is your what would you suggest as, as solutions, and what should the uh, the international community do? Is it more more sanctions, more diplomacy? Uh, what should what should the internationally international community, uh, if that exists, <laughs> um, do? Yes, that's such a good question, and I think Greg did a good job of answering um, the immediate things. He did a great job of answering the immediate things that that could be done. Um, uh, you know, and I, I particularly support the idea of sanctioning Azerbaijan, the U.S. sanctioning Azerbaijan under Article 907 of the Freedom Support Act. It's incredibly important, and particularly that the U.S. stops sending weapons or military aid of any sort to, not weapons, pardon me, of military aid to, to Azerbaijan. But I think the, it, you know, what we have to face in the international community, and you're right, Marie, to the extent that that exists anymore or ever, um, is that we have to face that Azerbaijan is operating in an, a context of impunity, and it believes itself to be operating in a context of impunity, and in a historical context where there has been no accountability, no serious or real accountability from the perpetrators um, or the successor state to the perpetrator of the Armenian genocide. The genocide is still denied in the region and by Turkey and by Turkish officials and, that, and by Azerbaijan, and that denial is integrated into... Um, people's senses of national identity. And so what we're facing with Azerbaijan is a genocidal state, a state that is built around the denial of genocide, where um, the sort of propaganda and national identity being pushed by the state authorities is itself reliant on um, a genocidal anti-Armenian hatred. Um, and this is, unless the international, this, the, the Armenians cannot be abandoned once again internationally and left to face a second genocide without help. But so the international community must take very, very concerted efforts to um, rein in Azerbaijan and its backer Turkey um, through the European Union, the United States' uh, you know, international reach, and especially through NATO, um, and must make it clear 
that if Azerbaijan continues along this course, there will be very strong accountability, that there will be consequences for Azerbaijan. Up to this point, Armenia has, in a sense, been uh, been characterized as a problematic state that needs to make peace with its neighbors, when in fact the reverse is the case. Armenia needs peace from its neighbors. It needs guarantees of security for its own people and for the people of Artsakh. And here I just want to underscore Mr. Avatissian's um, point that the uh, people of Artsakh deserve self-determination. This is a right that's enshrined in the Charter of the United Nations. And in this case, recognition of self-determination is also a form of genocide prevention. Longer term, so I think there needs to be immediate action on the part of the international community to end the blockade, but also to point out to Turkey and Azerbaijan that no matter what resources they can offer or what corridors they're, they're suggesting they're going to offer between Turkey and Central Asia, that the international community will reject um, the use of genocide to achieve these goals. And in fact, that it now, now rejects the use of enforced insecurity, not only on the people of Artsakh, but also on the people of Armenia um, and the diaspora, which is being harassed by a Turkish-backed uh, terrorist organization called the Grey Wolves. So there needs to be clarity on that point that the international community rejects that and will um, will uh, will impose consequences for continued uh, cont continuation of this sort of policy. And longer term, I think in the region we really need an international commission to investigate. Uh, the crimes that have been committed since the end of the Soviet Union, and partic particularly an international commission that starts a process of historical dialogue that will allow Armenians and Azerbaijanis and other people, Georgians as well, people in the region, to have a dialogue without the threat of genocide hanging over the heads of the Armenians about, um, about the various crimes that have been committed and how this region can forge a path forward that is peaceful and prosperous and more democratic. That's a longer term vision, um, but I think with a more organized international um, a response, we can get to that point. Thank you very much, Elisa. And thank you for to the three of you for, for joining this important discussion today.